21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. What is the situation in recruitment industry at the moment? In the industry, the main two things that we're seeing globally is there's two different challenges depending on what part of the world you live in. The first challenge, it's mostly affecting uh, North America and parts of Europe, is that there's not enough candidates. So because of COVID, a lot of people retired and a lot of people decided to no longer stay in the workforce and there's simply just not enough candidates applying to jobs. So we are seeing a lot of organizations needs tools to get to candidates that do apply faster because they're getting multiple job offers. That's the biggest challenge we're seeing in, in those parts of the world. However, in other parts of the world, we see the opposite effect where there's man, a lot of people weren't working due to COVID and now all of a sudden everyone's trying to go back to the workforce and they have huge labor pools and they don't have enough jobs for the amount of people and everyone's trying to apply and you'll get 100 people applied to one job. So we're seeing two different kinds of trends globally where one is not enough candidates, the other one is too many candidates. Some organizations have both problems. If you're dealing globally, um, you need tools that adapt to every single kind of situation for the market that you're in and even within geographic regions. So in the US, we'll see both sectors have different types, different types of job, different, different challenges. And in the market, there's not that many products that can do both of those. Typically, you have to buy two different solutions one to help filter and one to help speed up the process. And, and so that's uh, some of the things that we're seeing in the market today. And I suppose your solution covers both sides of the coin. You got it. We have at VidCruiter solutions to help with increased speed of recruiting, uh, where you can apply to a job and get interviewed on the spot. On the second side, we have filtering tools where you can have thousands, tens of thousands of people go through and it'll automatically give you sort of the top 10 or 15 through screening methods that we have to help you get to the top. And how can employers and candidates best prepare for a successful video interview? Um, the one feedback I give people all the time when they ask me this question is, you know, what should I do to prepare for a good interview? <clears throat> it's practice. A lot of people will just show up to an interview without having practiced. Your odds of success are not that good. Um, if you've practiced, usually a lot of candidates will say, oh, you know, this is my fifth job I'm applying to, and now I'm getting the hang of it, and now I'm doing a better job of interviewing. Well, instead of going through all those stages, why don't you just practice with a friend being interviewed? The number one thing that most people don't think of when doing an interview is they don't share everything. They share a high-level overview of the story. They don't share the details. And... The details is where you get the job because um, oftentimes a good recruiter will probe, but you may not be with a good recruiter. You may not be with a good hiring manager. So you have to give more information specific to that topic within um, something that someone would probe you on in terms of your explanation. And the other component of that, though, is don't talk too much. If you've answered the question, then you know stop answering. But practicing is the number one thing that most people don't think of. You know, if you go for a driving test, you're going to practice before you do that driving exam. Same idea. And it'll change your life to drive a car. Well, you know, you should do the same thing when you're going to go do an interview. Vidcutter has two video products. Uh, one that's like Zooms or Teams. Uh, the benefit of our product and tool is that uh, we work with other solutions. You could use Teams if you wanted to. But uh, we have auto scheduling built in 
interview guide. So when you're in an interview, your questions are built in. Uh, our most popular product for screening, you don't use this if you don't have enough candidates, but it's the asynchronous video interview, which we call pre-recorded interviewing. So you send out links to 100 people. They interview themselves for the weekend. You come in on Monday morning and you just watch interviews of people who um, who you want to meet with and click a button, say, I want to meet with this person. That would be the intent. And you could ask like a sort of a what we call a kickout question or knockout question that's specific or a filtering question. You just watch that question first. And as long as it's part of your requirements, then you may spend 30 seconds per person. And within an hour, you've got your 10 finalists. Is it a new technology? Yeah, early in the, you know, we started in 2009. Video's been around for quite some time when WebCab started. But pre-COVID, it wasn't that popular to do video interviews. People are like, oh, we'd rather meet in person or, you know, do a phone interview or something like this. Um, now it's like normal. An in-person meeting is the opposite of normal. It's like, what? Do you want me to drive somewhere to meet with you? Why don't we just do it over video? So um, COVID has really accelerated the use of this kind of technology. We've also built hybrid interviewing tools. So half the panel's in person, the candidate's in person, the other half's another location. Now, how do you make sure everyone's there with the right time, with the right interview guide, with the right questions, you know, digitized hybrid interviewing. Um, those are some other things that we've been able to develop. Are there differences, by the way, between uh, Generation X and older people? We don't really see any differences. Um, no, not that much. Most people prefer to not move and get displaced. And, you know, the one thing is they may need a little bit more help getting set up if they're not as familiar with the technology. You know, Gen Z uses their phone and mobile and video all the time. Uh, but our products have built in 24-7 support and all these things that make it easier for anyone with whatever accessibility or accommodation or reasonable um, accommodations that people need. We have it all pre-built in, the font will get bigger, it'll, screen readers will work, you know, and there's 24 seven support with under a 30 second chat time. So you can talk to someone, they walk you through it, and then away you go. Once you do one question, it's like, oh, this is easy. And then you just keep going. So it's maybe that just first question, but after that, you'll notice it's super easy to do on whatever device you want. You know? And how do you think removing bias from the interviewing process can improve hiring decisions? Yeah, so everyone has different biases um, that they're not aware of. It's, they're called unconscious biases. So, you know, <clears throat> maybe someone thinks that older people aren't as good with video, you know, like just, just this kind of a bias. Is, um, so the, the idea is that our tools and what we're designing now is uh, what's called a smart panel. So the idea is that how do you make sure that, you know, if people have biases that they're done in a way or that we help the, the panels become more intelligent by training them on what to look for in interviews, what not to do. And that really comes through with the structured interview guide, uh, the structured interview guide methodology. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's basically when you're interviewing someone, it tells you what to look for as a good answer. 
So it's sort of guiding you say, oh, we're talking about customer service. Here's what to look for. Here's a good customer service answer, right? And, you know, even if you interview customer service people your whole life, when you read one of these interview guides, it's like it helps. It's like, oh, I didn't, you know, I always do this, but I didn't realize what I was looking for in a good answer. Um, so these kind of things are what really helps interviewers. AI in the interview process is dangerous to use uh, for multiple reasons. What happens is a lot of our competitors tried to use AI to analyze candidates and they all got in trouble for discrimination. You know, a lot of the AI or the text language processing tools, what they do is they'll analyze what was said, how they acted, what they reacted, how much time someone's talking, how much time another person's talking. It's not always relevant to the actual interview process. If I have to convince you to work for us, then I might have to talk more than normal. You know, um, but the best example we have for AI is if you use Siri or Google voice, if you talk to it for 10 seconds, the probability of it picking up everything you said is pretty good. It's also been trained to your voice. But if you talk to Siri for an hour, the probability of it picking up everything you said perfectly is risky. And as soon as there's words that it didn't pick up properly, well, what what's going on? And then you're making a decision based on an algorithm that isn't perfect, that can't detect everything, that may have biases built into it already. So the best way to mitigate against that is to have humans watch the interviews or be part of the panel, multiple humans, and uh, ensure your panel is built in a fair way. Uh, and that's sort of the things that we're seeing. A lot of our clients, like governments, have panel pools where they'll create a pool of panelists that can participate in different interviews from different backgrounds and different kind of uh, demographics that can participate in ensuring a diverse panel. And so these are some examples that we see to help uh, make the interview process better. And what about you? What was your business journey? Yeah, I mean, uh, the hardest part is not being a computer programmer in a computer programming company, right? Um, a lot of entrepreneurs think that you need to have the skill set or the passion for the product uh, and the skill set, but that's not actually true. I just partnered with people that had those skill sets um, and fell in love with the process, not so much the building of the coding, you know. Uh, but that's where I've been able to be successful is just from we started with two people and now we're 200 people. For entrepreneurs skill sets it depends right there's certain entrepreneurs that have a skill set that can manage from two people to 2000 and then others that just don't have the skill set associated with that kind of organization growth it's more of a personal journey from yourself as if you want to grow and develop into the skill set that you need to do that because one of the things that we joke around here every day is we're always doing something we've never done before now, I have mentors who are there to assist and guide me and my board of directors as well. But we're always pushing the agenda to the next level in our own personal development. So I've decided to take on that challenge to continue to grow myself in my role as I grow the business. And the one guiding factor that I've used to enable myself to continue to do that is um, hard work. So leading by example and focusing on process, not people. 
And so as you grow, you can add other layers of processes within the organization. And if something's not working, there's a process that's missing. And generally a startup and at every scale, there's different levels of processes that you need to operate. And so if you focus on being a process builder, which is what I've done, which is what our product does, then you can scale up. And to my knowledge, there's no limit to how far you can go because you just keep fixing the problem from a different point of view, the root cause of the problem. In terms of process map or processing the organization, uh, the book that I read that helped me sort of open my mind to this concept was a book called The Entrepreneur Myth or E-Myth. And when you understand the concept of working in and working on the business, those are two different words that mean different things. So most entrepreneurs end up working in, not on. And if you always work a percentage of your work on your business, you will automatically become a good manager because that is the skill set that is needed to become a good manager and grow the operations. That would be the simplest way that I could describe how to be process minded is simply to work on. And one other thing that I recommend entrepreneurs do is to become attuned to when something is wrong, whether it's just a, a problem or is there a process that is needed that is broken or not in place yet. That is the one skill set that when you get a, for me now, it's a gut feeling. So I get this feeling, that, oh, something's wrong. Either there's the wrong person in this process or there's no process created. So if it's the wrong person, then that person needs to be fired. And yeah, as you grow up, that can be a little bit difficult. And I've had to hot fire my best friend, uh, you know, eight years ago, which was not easy, but it was for the better of the business. The other thing that I did early on was set up a board of directors so that I would be accountable to someone, even though I didn't need to. I went through the exercise of having a boss so that I could have someone to report to at the end of the day. And now, you know, our company's big enough that I should have had a board of directors. So it was a good exercise to go through the series of stages to have someone to report to, a process to match, working on the business, and being attuned to when there is a process break or something missing in your operations that requires that next level. In terms of the gut feeling I get, it's more of if there's a problem, if there's an issue, if things aren't flowing properly. Uh, if someone comes to me and says, oh, this is broken, this isn't working, there's this issue, right? Anytime anyone talks to me at all, I, you know, I look at how is this conversation happening and does it need to happen? And is there a way to make the organization smoother in terms of, you know, the flow of information between people, the flow of information to me? How is that? Or is, am I not getting enough information? Is there something missing in terms of data flow through? And uh, yeah, the, the skill set needed for that is just to develop listening to your organization, basically. How do you manage everything that you do? So, I mean, it's it's a very successful, big organization. You started with just two of you. Now you're, there are 200 plus uh, employees. Do you have a specific daily routine? What's your mindset? Are you a positive, happy person? Yeah, I did a test of uh, positivity and I scored off the charts uh, to a point where I had to tone it down. I was too positive. Uh, so my going forward after that was to be optimistic with a dose of reality every day. Because if you're too optimistic, you'll just keep going and, you know, run into a wall or something. Uh, 
which happened to me in a previous business, right? You just you're overly optimistic. You can't win if you're overly optimistic. You need to you need both. You need to be able to balance those two. In terms of my daily routine, I get up and go to work and then go to bed. Um, that's basically how it works. In my opinion, if you want to be successful, you have to outwork the average work hour or work week, I should say. I know people talk about work-life balance, but it's more about what are you? what is your goal? If your goal is work-life balance, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. If your goal is to uh, work 40 hours a week and be an, uh, work an average amount of hours, then you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. You should go teach school. You know, they get two months off in the summer, three months off, depending on where you live. The the um, the dream of being able to work a four hour work week is is not real. In in my opinion, it's all about work as much as many hours as you hum- humanly possibly can, because you're going to make so many mistakes that the only way that you'll be able to survive is if you work more than the amount of mistakes that you're going to make. And that would be one of the reasons that we're successful at VidCruiter, that I'm successful, is that we outworked every single competitor. We outworked everyone who's ever, you know, come through us with substantially less revenue and substantially less funding. And we had competitors that had started 10 years before me and raised hundreds of millions. And now we're neck and neck with those companies, having one one hundredth of the resources that they've had just through sheer hard work to figure out you know, what would work, how to work that angle. And you get really, really good um, if you work that hard. The The analogy that I always use, people always talk about, well, you know, you got to work hard and this. If you see an Olympic athlete that's practicing and training for the Olympics and whatever sport it is, let's say cycling or running, would you ever go to that Olympic athlete and say, hey, you're working too hard on, on your – you would never say that. You would congratulate them on all the hard work they've done because they're going to win the Olympic medal. However, when it's an entrepreneur working hard, oh, you should work less, work-life balance. What are you doing? You're, you're wasting your life. It's like saying to an Olympic athlete that they're 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 training too much. It doesn't make any sense. So, but if you compare the life and the commitment to that kind of a commitment, it's identical. It, that's the level of commitment that you need to have to win. And it depends what you want to win. But that's if you want to win at that level, you're. That's the level of game that you're in. So now not every business requires that level of dedication, but in software and the most competitive business in the world against the most funded people in the world, it's an Olympic sport. Mm. Beside commitment, what about engagement? The way that we've saw the engagement at VidCruiter is that we made everyone owners of the business. And we treated them as owners, as shareholders to participate in the greater benefit of the overall organization. So 80% of our shares are owned by employees and staff. Uh, 20% is owned by investors. And we have an extremely high engagement level. We do surveys and we have some of the highest in the world for our company. Uh, And it's simply by just giving shares to staff and treating them like owners and participating in conversations that they may not normally hear. So, oh, this is our numbers. These are what we need to fix. This is where the problem is. Here's our revenue per employee. Here's our targets. We actually are doing a shareholder meeting with staff as an annual AGM for the stock option holders of VidCruiter. So they are fully bought in and engaged into, you know, winning this uh, sports game that we're playing against other providers. We actually give them the hockey jersey. We, we use hockey here in Canada. 
uh, as part of like the team. You're after a year, you get a hockey jersey. You're actually part of the team. You get shares, and we're playing hockey at an Olympic level against some of the top companies in the world. And that messaging with the jerseys and the, you know, the overall theme is an engaging message. If your engagement in your company isn't working, your process for engagement is broken. Like you, you know, you just gave me an example. I think mean, no, we have a process in place, and I explained what my process was. Right? It's just like if that's not working, your process is broken. That's as soon as you said, I was like, "Doom, that process is broken. Need to fix it." One of the success stories of VidCruiter was at the very beginning of COVID, we had an organization that helps hire uh, traveling nurses, and so. In New York, there was a huge spike of COVID. It was the first time that COVID happened in the United States. And uh, they needed to send nurses from all around the country to go help with them. But they can't just send anyone that applies. It needs to be a vetted person. And so using our product, we helped an organization that helps staff these nurses hire 5,000 nurses that were qualified, vetted properly in two weeks. So that once they were vetted, they could all fly to New York to help with the COVID rush if anyone's ever interested in learning more about vidcruiter they could just go to vidcruiter.com uh, that stands for video recruiter stuck together vidcruiter.com and you'll see that we have hiring products interviewing products and all sorts of solutions to help anyone who has any recruiting challenges 21st century entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.